0: It's good to see you all. It's good to be back. Uh, My family and I are grateful for a little opportunity. We pulled away for a little time to Ocean City, New Jersey, which has been a fun tradition for a lot of years, and so grateful for that chance to be refreshed, but excited to be here this morning. And as we're thinking about this uh, morning's theme I'm about to introduce, I'm wondering if there's any other folks in here that would consider yourself Fans of action movies, any other fans of action movies? And I've realized just talking to different people after services, it's not just a guy thing and a girl thing, sometimes it's a little bit of both. Although my wife and I have this agreement, I don't know if any of you have the same agreement, it's basically a trade off. I get one action movie in exchange for like one Hallmark cheesy film. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a give and take that we have. I don't know if there's any other arrangements like that. But if you are an action uh, hero fan, probably you'd be very familiar with probably the biggest one at this point, which would be who? The Rock. The Rock, I would suggest, is probably the the biggest action hero present day. In fact, uh, even this summer, he's had two movies. Who can tell me the two movies he's had out this summer? Rampage Rampage and... Skyscraper, exactly. Rock isn't necessarily known for reading scripts prior to saying, yes, I've come to realize. I think he just hears the big idea, like work alongside with a large gorilla. I'm in. You know, like a save family in a burning building, I'm in. But either way, big deal. Enjoy the rock if you're an action hero fan. In fact, you might not know this. A lot of people don't. He actually has a song written about him. Did you guys know that, The Rock? In fact, you may not even have realized you sung it this morning. Take a look. So, so sorry, that may have just uh, ruined that song for a lot of people. And so I didn't have a grandma rap to introduce like John. So anyway, that's the, the idea here this morning is we're introduced to this series called Mixtape. You're, a lot of you are still staring. We can take that down. Um uh, We have this series called Mixtape. And the idea behind this series was that the people that were speaking would have opportunity to kind of pick a favorite passage. And you might be wondering why I'm talking about action heroes. Well, I was thinking on vacation. I'm like, you know what? If I have a, a free reign to just pick any passage and kind of anything in randomness out there in scripture, I was like, you know what? I'm going with David's mighty men. David's mighty men. A lot of you might not be familiar with David's mighty men. They're found uh, described in 2 Samuel 23. And we're going to get a glimpse at these characters that aren't just superheroes made up in Hollywood, but literally real life action heroes. And we're told in scripture, actually in Romans 15, 4, that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So I believe even by looking at some action heroes this morning, there's something for us from God's word that he can literally bring to life, bring to to surface. I would suggest some of the character qualities that we're gonna see in these men are definitely applicable still today. Let me pray before we dive into this section. God, we invite you this morning and are grateful for even this chance to worship you already this morning. It was a sweet time Uh, To opportunity to do that. We ask now that you'd speak to us through this text, that you'd really illuminate these different characters and characteristics of them that are for us to emulate, for us to, to model after. And as we look at them and what made them, what made these mighty men mighty, God, we ask that you'd stretch us and grow us to be mighty men and women of faith as well, God. We ask that you teach us, stretch us. We invite that this morning in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, while you're turning to Second uh, Samuel twenty-three, a little bit of background. Uh, it's probably not uh, not uh, uncommon to have a message about David. In fact, David, I was reading about it this week, is actually talked about more than any other man in Scripture. And in fact, other than Jesus Christ, he's the most. Discussed in any verses, any passages, so a lot in scripture about David, but you might remember if you're familiar with this story, there's kind of this gap period of time before between when David was anointed as king to when David actually became king or recognized as king by the masses. And in that, during that that kind of window or that gap period, he needed a high level of protection because one, he was living in a time that was filled with lots of obstacles as far as outside enemies, the Philistines, the Moabites, and you could go down all kinds of ites that were against him and, uh, and, and in scripture. But you also had Saul, the king of the existing army that wanted to take in Israel, that wanted to take him out as well. And so it had a lot of opposition. So God in his kindness raised up this, this group of men in their section here this morning, about 37 are mentioned, kind of a green berets, if you will, of that time that were elevated as protectors of David. And really each one of them was broken down into kind of three sections. First section was a group of of three guys that were really known for their just miraculous feats militarily. And then another three that were kind of second tier. And then the other 31 that all made up this group of 37 men that protected David. Some debate over where these men came from. Most likely many of them were while David was general of Saul's army, most likely part of that army that he oversaw, but also while he is in the wilderness, you had a lot of kind of people from Israel that came out under his leadership. In fact, we talk about it in First Samuel, it says, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him a lot of Jesus parallels there and he became the commander over them and there were with him about 400 men so he's hiding in the in the wilderness if you will with 400 men 37 of those elite warriors that are protecting him so pretty intense so that's a little backdrop for our text we're going to start describing the first of the three mighty men here in verse 8 of chapter 23 in 2nd Samuel it says this These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. joab we're going to just call him Josh, a a I did that on Thursday, Josh, our uh, young adults pastor, liked that. Uh, He's a a tachemonite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear, listen to this, against 800 whom he killed at one time. If you're an action uh, hero fan, most likely you've uh, spent some time watching John Rambo in some of his feats. If you anybody watched some of the Rambo movie, in fact, I was looking online and there was a summary of Rambo's actual kills in his movies. First blood, only one. It wasn't his fault. For Rambo Two, 75, 115, it, it escalated and all of his confirmed kills in Vietnam to a grand total of 503. I found the second chart even more helpful that broke it down based on kills with his shirt on and kills with his (laughs) shirt off. So either, either way, very impressive, but all done with what? Large machine guns and one large knife. What does it say about Josh and his accomplishments? 800 men with a spear in one battle. How unbelievable is that? Like, at what point, my mind was kind of processing this, at what point when you're an enemy of Josh and you're coming against him, when you're, was it like number 467 that started thinking, ah, maybe this isn't such a good idea. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't, or are you that guy with such an ego that you're like, no, I'm the one that's gonna do it. I'm gonna take him out. Like either either way, pure silliness in opposing him. And I imagine on the flip side of that, if you are Josh and you're in battle, there's at some point in that that you come to this conclusion that what? You see it on the screen. I can't lose. I can't lose. Why? Because of the God that is backing me and because of the track record of his faithfulness. At 742, he must've been like, you know what? I'm pretty much unstoppable because of who I'm representing. As we're applying this still today, my question for us, at what point in God's track record of faithfulness in your life do you come to the same conclusion that I can't lose? The same thing that that Paul concluded. If God is for me, then who can be against me? Who can oppose me? If If you're stepping out in faith with God backing you, what is opposition look like? For this man, Josh, uh, and I'm going to stick with that, for him, he recognized he had an I can't lose mentality. And so often our battles have to start with what's going on in the mind. We're going to continue with this next character, another characteristic that we'll see in this, verse 9. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Interesting. Son of Ahoyi, he was the, with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. A couple interesting things in this little summary here. First off, is that the encouragement, even for me as a pastor, that God can use even the son of a dodo. So it's hope for my son, Chase. It's encouraging there from the text. Sorry about that. But here's what I love in this picture. Because I love this. What does it say? As the Israelite army is going against the Philistines, what does it say they choose to do? They're like, all right, this is too great of an opposition. We're heading the opposite direction. So I have this picture in my mind of everybody booking it one direction. And Eleazar is doing what? going the opposite direction with his sword in hand. And you imagine all these guys saying, Guy, we're, you're, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. It made me think of a favorite movie clip, clip, and I'm sorry to show this right now in church, but we need to do it. From Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Do you guys remember this? You're going the oh, wrong way. What? You're going the wrong Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. <laughs> this idea. You guys remember that movie? I was talking to some uh, young adults, and they're like, planes, trains, and uh, what is that about? And uh, a- anyway, this, this idea of going the opposite direction, that was because why? They were headed directly towards ongoing traffic you remember the two semis that are about to come in that scene but here the opposite direction to the world around us often doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense and the world around us is screaming you're going the wrong way what do what do you mean you aren't chasing possessions and popularity what do you mean you don't stretch the truth when it's tax time What do you you mean that you give a a tithe to your church each month? What do you mean you're waiting to, to, to marriage to have sex with your girlfriend or boyfriend? What do you mean the things that we're doing so often are exactly the opposite and make zero sense to the world around us? But I love you see this picture of him. What does it say has happened? When they finally found him after defeating the Philistines, his hand is frozen to the sword. Because he kept on going. He's like, I don't care who's going that direction. I don't care who's running that way. I'm staying the course. That's an example, another replicable example of us today of, man, I don't, it doesn't matter when, when and where people are headed. I'm going to continue chasing the Lord regardless of how popular it is amongst the audience around me. So Elazar, second hero, Third man, and remember I mentioned three kind of celebrated heroes, so that's number two of the first three. The third one, and next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, again fleeing. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord Worked a great victory. Love that little picture there of this third hero. I don't know if there's anybody here that's tried lentil soup before. Anybody tried lentil soup? Anybody really say when you're thinking through like top five things you enjoy, do you think of like, you know, man, I really enjoy some good lentil soup. Uh, Not really. There's one uh, interesting person in our church that's raising their hand. But otherwise, the majority of us conclude this, lentil soups. Not that good. It's kind of bland, doesn't have a lot of taste. Okay, we can bicker later. Uh, but typically, you don't associate, lentil work with me here. Typically, you don't associate lentil soup as this prized possession, you know? Like, it's not usually seen that. I know, we'll talk later. But, uh, but, 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 but here, you, you, there's a piece of you that's saying what? There's a piece of you that's saying, just give them the peas. You know what I mean? Like give, give them, if the Philistines want this little plot of land with some lentils on it, just give it to them. There's certain things that's worth dying for and certain things you just let go, right? Lentils probably being one of those. What this says is something as I was thinking about it, this character is, man, this is a guy that's not budging on the little stuff or on the big stuff. He's a man of principles, and it wasn't just about a, a single pea patch. It's about the, all the pea patches of Israel. If he knew if he allowed the Philistines to start taking one, where does it stop? Think about that as it parallels to us as we're trying to emulate characteristics. Similarly, in our own ethical battles that we have, haven't you noticed this? When you start getting lax on the little stuff, it comes easier and easier on the bigger stuff that you're drawn to. remember being at a men's retreat back when I was on staff at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, and they had a guest speaker. He's a CEO of a large company in Chicago based downtown. And he's telling the story of how he had a commute downtown Chicago. I don't know if there's anybody here that makes this long commute into LA, but the same principle applies. So he realized that if he left really early in the morning, he could really cut his commute time down drastically, kind of before all the traffic, that 5 a.m. drive. And he'd make that drive, and he said, not only that, he said, I started to realize not only the time affected my commute, so did the speed at which I drove. He said he started driving me, he bumped it to 75. He's like, man, I made it a lot faster. Then he moved to 85, 90, and made it even faster. 100, way faster, 120, really fast. 140, and he kept going up and up. And he said it just became easier and easier. I was in this German automobile. It worked fine. And we, we could just cruise at this speed until what happened? Guess what happened? Eventually pulled over. The cops were like, we were trying to catch you for months. And uh, and, and so he got in like legit trouble. And he's like, man, isn't that the same of how ethical stuff works? Just starts with a... A little lie. It just starts with a little stretch, a little compromise. And before you know it, it what? Snowballs out of control. I love this example of this mighty man of valor that wasn't even gonna budge on a pea patch. Wasn't even gonna budge on a pea patch. Oh, that we could take that same commitment to principles ourselves. Very applicable for us still today at unwavering principles. Continuing, next character, as we move on. Verse 13. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Raphim. David was, met, was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it these things the three mighty men did stop there pretty interesting story of what transpired there basically as i mentioned there's a group of 30 men and in that 30 men there would be different subgroups i would go from there to accomplish amazing tasks in this case you have these three guys that hear david talking and what is david doing David's doing what anybody that's been away from their hometown, that's missing home does, does a little bit of talk about the good old days. Anybody enjoy doing that with some old friends? I was thinking about like, you know, I was like, well, what would, I, what would I miss? I'm like, you know what? I could really go for a cherry Slurpee from 7-Eleven on Cumberland Avenue in River Grove, Illinois. Oh, that sounds great right now. Well, that's not what he's hoping for. He's just hoping for a simple what? glass of water from the well in Bethlehem." You see, he had grown up in Bethlehem and that was something that he longed for. He's talking about, oh, if I could just have a drink. And I love this, that as men hear him talking about it and they're like, all right, well, we're gonna go. Three of them decide we're gonna go get it. They literally go travel eight miles, break through at that time, we learn there as well as in Chronicles that 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 city, the city of Bethlehem was under full siege of the Philistines. They fight through this battle line of all these men. I can't imagine how many they had to get through. They pull up water, most likely a well in that day and age is about 70 feet deep. So they're having to pull up water, fighting off guys with one hand, running back with a bucket of water. What in the world compels that? Like what drives somebody to do that? It's not something that's done out of duty. It's not something that's done because it was on the job description or out of some kind of obligation. What compels something like that? I would suggest, and you see it there, but right on the, on the screen, the only thing that compels that kind of action is love for your king, is love for your king. It's not something that you're, you're gonna risk your life for. It's not something that you're gonna go out of your way unless, I, I, I picture Mary they're wiping Jesus' feet with their, with their hair and perfume. And you're like, I don't even care about what somebody thinks, what's going to happen to me. All I care about is serving my king. I think it's a beautiful picture for us to emulate. When you're wondering what are characteristics of somebody that lives a life of power and might, I would suggest that so often it starts with what compels them. Is it duty or is it delight in their King? is a delight in their king. And I love it's a dual picture of delight in their king because what happens when they come back with the water? What does David say? It's like, man, I can't drink that. I'm gonna elevate this from just a cup of water to an offering to my king. So David also displays his love for his king, both being a a beautiful picture in this text And I ask us this morning as we're trying to be teachable from all of these sections of scripture is where is our love meter this morning for our king? Is it kind of waned off? Is it something that's kind of lost a bit of its fervor, a bit of its passion? What do I need to do to stir that relationship? What time needs to be spent? What relationship, how can I develop that so it becomes a driving passion in my life. Another example of what set these mighty men apart. Verse 18, it describes one other guy, the first of the second group of three that I mentioned. Now, Abishi, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruah, was chief of the 30, and, was, and he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander but he did not attain to the three. Basically, just a, a brief mention of this person. Now we read like, oh, he only killed 300. You know, like he's kind of second uh, class there. It's more kills than Clint Eastwood had in all of his movies combined, just a side trivia there. But either way, he's put in charge of the 30 men. So he's one of the second, and I know you're, I'm losing you. I'm gonna grab one last character to point to, verse 20, and Benaiah, this is my... Personal favorite out of any of these guys. And Benaiah, verse 20, the son of Jehodah, was a valiant man of Cabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he stuck and he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Beniah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Hodah, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. Okay, so last character we're gonna mention, Beniah, personal favorite. I imagine him pulling up in a black pickup truck with no fear stickers, I'm for sure, on the windows. He accomplishes, basically it points to three epic feats. The first one, he takes out two of the main kind of war heroes of the Moabites. If you don't know much about the Moabites, basically people that were trained from birth to fight, So basically he's like, I, I took out, yeah, they're two best fighters. I took those guys out. But then the second thing, the second feat is my personal favorite here. It says, he also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. Think about that for a moment. When I was growing up, my dad was a director of a camp for those with special needs. And one of the things that he had the opportunity to do was to speak in different churches that were connected with the camp. And he had one favorite go-to sermon that he would always preach or consistently preach. And it was called a lion in a pit on a snowy day. And so it was always a joke that would be like, hey, hey, dad, what are you gonna preach on? Let me guess, a lion in a pit on a snowy day. And the whole idea was this picture of overcoming impossible obstacles, impossible obstacles. If you're thinking through the ultimate fearless act think about that for a moment. So you got this lion. First off, who feels like they could do a good job fighting a 900 pound lion? First off, that's, let's start there. Second, I, no audience response, glad you're participating here, but, but this idea that that probably wouldn't go well. Second, we'll add into the mix. How cheery do you think that lion is if it's stuck in a pit? probably not real happy, probably like jumping or, or waking your spouse before the alarm goes off. But you get the idea that this, that this is not a wise time to mess with a lion. So this, this picture of him and who willingly, how would you kill a lion in a pit? You jump out in it with a spear. You're fighting it. Does it leave you much room to move? And then it adds one more little subtle detail. Oh yeah, and it had snowed that day or that night. What happens to your footing when you're standing in a pit with snow in it, fighting a lion? Probably not the best odds for victory. But here, this man demonstrates what? That he was fearless. He was a risk taker. What does it say in the text? It says, a doer of great deeds. Wouldn't you love? Not saying that you need to go fight lions or or defeat uh, large uh, war heroes. But wouldn't you love at the end of your days to be known as a fearless risk taker for the Lord. Somebody that, that, that didn't play it safe, that didn't always just cruise by and, and on automatic pilot. What, what, what if uh, when you're reflecting on all of your days, wouldn't you rather be known as someone that took risks? Somebody that stepped out, and I'm not saying into, into battle per se, but stepped out in a spiritual sense. And there's so many opportunities to do that. The earlier service, I was sitting there uh, watching John do his announcements so masterfully and I was thinking about that. I was like, well, what does this look like even in our own day and age? What What does that life look like of a fearless risk taker? What if for the men in this group that would choose to say, you know what? I'm gonna go from being on the sidelines and not very connected in this church. I'm gonna step out and I'm gonna go to the men's retreat. I'm gonna take a risk. I'm going to get to know some other guys. I'm not going to keep complaining about being unknown and then not doing anything about it. So what, what, what if that's the step of, of faith or stepping out as a fearless risk taker? What if that's what God's calling you to this morning, men? I asked that question for all of us. How about his, one of his other announcements? We're just going to pick on announcements this morning. How about, how, how, how about this one? You got baptism coming up. Got baptism coming up in a, uh, just a couple of weeks. You see in scripture, in the New Testament, there's only one example of a non-baptized believer. You know who that was? The thief on the cross. Nobody else was with, everyone else was without excuse. It's something that's an expectation if you've made the choice to follow Jesus Christ with your life. Maybe that's your step of faith being a fearless Risk taker, maybe that's what God's calling you to this morning. We got back from our uh, vacation. It was interesting because uh, Stephanie and John had kind of helped out while we were away. Their mom, her mom actually stayed at our, our house while we were on vacation. And we came back, and John, if you haven't met John before, so Stephanie's our office manager at the church, and John's her husband. They just got married in uh, February. And John, we've always teased, or since we've known him, about not really liking the idea of swimming. So we'd walk by the the pool in our house and we're like hey john you want to take a dip and he's like it's not gonna happen not gonna happen never gonna happen and uh and so it's interesting we were saying we kind of got to the root of that he had maybe something as a, when he was younger that happened didn't go real well with water and so we we're teasing him about it but he'd still never touch the water we got back from vacation we literally showed up at our house like upon arrival they were there hanging out and we look in the back pool and there's John with a big snorkel mask on s- just swimming across our pool. I'm like, what in the world is happening? Like, this, is, this can't be. Is that John in there? Like what, what is, like, what happened? He became Aquaman while we're gone. We, 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 we look in the pool and, and I'm, we're asking Stephanie, what in the world happened? Why is, he, why is he swimming? Like, we could never get him to do that. She's like, oh yeah, you know why he's doing it? He wants to get baptized in August He has to overcome his fear of water first. Guys, seriously, how cool is that? You talk about heroes in the Old Testament and all these battle achievements, but what if the the, the call that we have on life is some of those little steps of faith that say, you know what, I'm gonna elevate kind of my fears. I'm gonna elevate this, this commitment over my fears, over all these obstacles. I'm gonna make the choice to act in obedience my question for us as we conclude is what is the fearless risk-taker move that he's calling you to make? As we wrap up, just looking at that list, it's kind of interesting. When you scroll down to the very bottom, if you guys still have it open there, what's the name of the last warrior that's mentioned there as somebody that's elevated in high regard? Who's the last one? Who can see it? Uriah the Hittite. Who else can tell me about Uriah the Hittite? What's, what's he known for? What, what, what happened with Bathsheba? What, what, what happened with him being sent off to the front lines uh, at David's command? See, it's pretty interesting, pretty fascinating, that when God's compiling scripture and celebrating heroes, he makes the choice to still elevate Uriah. Just thinking about that and how it applies to us today. Man, if you think that these guys, all their actions are noticed, do you not think, present day, those of us that have committed to follow Jesus Christ with our lives and have proclaimed that to the world around us, do you not think every little act of faithfulness is not seen, recognized, and celebrated by our God still today? He sees it all. There's nothing that sneaks by. Our choices to engage and be involved, man, it is noticed and celebrated. So I leave us with this question, just reflecting on these mighty men. And I appreciate the uh, slack to let me go kind of a, a little different direction with a sermon. We'll be back to Hallmark next week. It's okay. And uh, uh, but, but you think you ask yourself some of those questions. What is it from their lives that you need to wrestle through yourself? What needs to adjust so that you're known as a mighty man or woman? Is it kind of the, the more simple question at the beginning? Does it have to do with our mentality? Do we need more of a I can't lose mentality to, make, to per, pervade our thinking? Or maybe it's for you. Maybe it's the heading the opposite direction of all of your peers, regardless of how many people are saying you're going the wrong way. Maybe it's sharpening your ethical edge. Maybe you need to maybe tighten some things up a little bit in your life that you've gotten maybe a little too loose on. Maybe it's the mo- probably the most important. Maybe it's rekindling your love for your king. Maybe it's putting in the hard work of rekindling that relationship. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe the last one is exactly what you needed too, the, the taking more risks instead of playing it safe in your version of Christianity. I don't know what God's calling you to, but I'm grateful that his word still speaks to us so many years later from characters found in this obscure passage of the Bible. Amen? Let me pray for us as we wrap up. And I thank you for this example, God, and you tell us that these are written for us, examples for us to emulate, to to teach us, to stretch us. And I thank you for these mighty men and their heroic feats that demonstrate one thing, it was only to the degree that they were submitted to you. Over and over in this passage, God, I point to the Lord gave them a great victory that day. The Lord did amazing things. You're the one hero in scripture we point to. I pray for us as we look to wrestle through which of these callings you have for us, God, that that would be the reigning theme in our minds, more and more of you and less and less of us recognize we can only do that with your nudging and your promptings. So we invite that even in our lives this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Pray you have a wonderful week. If there's anything we can be praying for you, it will be available after the service. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great Sunday.